Well, I don't know. I don't want to scare you already. Um, My name is Alan Funk. Uh, His dad, my dad's back there. My son-in-law's over there. My brother's over there. My mom's back here. They came to uh, hear me preach, which now all of a sudden I used to have... I usually don't get nervous, but with them being here, it makes me a little nervous. What really makes me nervous is I didn't bring my glasses, so I hope I wrote big enough that I can read everything that I have to say. Um, but anyhow, as I get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for all you've given us. I thank you so much for your son who died on the cross for our sins and the gift that he's given us. Uh, as we speak about grace, that we can somehow uh, do a decent job of doing it justice, Father. Uh, I understand that it's going to be a coming from a human form, which we don't understand your form of grace, Father, but uh, we'll do the best we can, Lord, and to make you happy. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as I started right, thinking about doing this sermon years and years ago, uh, and talked Corey into doing this, we're actually doing a series on this, uh, this was my day to get up and speak. So, as we know, grace is a gift. Just like last week, if you were here, I brought him some cookies. He didn't know what to do with it. It's like when you get a gift, what do you do? You're like, well, thank you, and you feel like you owe something back. Um, Yet, I think about years ago, um, I love watching a gift at Christmas time. I'm sure many of you guys have seen uh, the Christmas story. Remember his favorite gift? The Red Ryder BB gun. Um, I, uh, I could tell you every trivia question about the Christmas story. I've watched it zillions and zillions of times. But I remember him getting out and watching the parent as this gift comes out of the Red Ryder BB gun. I think many of you guys could probably relate a little bit. There was probably some gift along the way that you remember that was like, oh yeah, th- this is the deal. This is the gift. This is the most amazing gift that I've ever had. I'm going to relate a little bit that I remember we, we moved out to the country, and we had our house being built. And at the time, it was right around Christmas time, my wife and I decided to get the kids a go-kart. We lived in Wichita, so we weren't, they weren't used to riding the go-karts and stuff like that. And I can see even Kyle, I can see several people out there like, oh, I'm, I remember riding the go-kart. Because I was a youth minister, so kids liked to come out and ride the go-kart. And that was the gift, and, and I remember giving it to them, and it was outside, it was cold right around Christmas time, and I said, here's, you know, here's some helmets. And they go, what are the helmets for? Well, why don't you go outside and look? And they come back in, and their eyes were just huge. They were excited. They get to go ride the go-kart. And I told them, as a dad, trying to be a cool dad, I said, you know, I want you guys to go out and ride that go-kart. And don't come back in until you're completely covered with mud. I mean, if you got more mud, you don't have like a clean spot, you're going back out there. They looked at me like, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious. We said, we, we live out in the country now, we can take the clothes off, throw them in the laundry, and you can go up and take a bath. I said, but all of us can relate to some gift that we had along the way where we remember some gift. Well, I'm going to relate it back to grace. Grace is that gift that you get that keeps giving, and yet you can't earn it. Now, there's some other gifts that God's given. 
his son dying on the cross for our sins. The Holy Spirit, love, but grace. And we're going to start talking about grace here in a second, but I wanted to, to, to get you guys to start thinking about where is our world going right now? Kind of like what Corey just brought up a second ago. How is the Christian church surviving? How is, is it growing or is it going down? Well, I, I had to jump on Google because, you know, that's what you do now. You jump on Google to get all your answers. But it does have statistics, and I kind of like seeing statistics now and then. So I'm going to bring in a few statistics before I start getting in some verses. The silent generation, which is, if you don't know which generation you are, I'll, I'll tell you the, when you were born. Between 1928 and 1945, so probably some of you older people out there. How many claim to be Christians now? 89%. Of people in that bracket claim to be Christians. Of those, of that 89 percent, 50 percent come to church on a regular basis. 10 percent come once or twice a month. Pretty good. Where do you think it goes from there as as we get younger? The baby boomers, 1946 to 1964. Unfortunately, I barely hit that category. 76% claim to be Christians. Three out of four. 35% come to church on a regular basis, and 13% come a couple times a month. Generation X, 1965 to 1980. So some of you guys, oh, I'm, that's where I'm at. Where, you know, where do I fall in this category? 67% claim to be Christians. 22% come to church regularly. And 13% come a couple times a month. The millennials, 1981 to 1996, 49% claim to be Christians. So what's happened to our younger generation? 22% come to church regularly, and 13% come once or twice a month. The reason I'm saying this, I want you to see where our world is going. This is the United States. The generation, as we move down and are younger, are falling away from the Lord. First of all, I want to try to figure out why that is. Is it the church? You know, we have the church. The church's not good for the kid, for them, or this or that. And, and um, I started thinking more about the people that claim to be Christians versus the people that come to church. Because I think sometimes there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians because they're not Buddhist, they're not whatever else it is, and that's where they kind of fall in the category. Yet very few of them are actively involved in a church or growing as Christians. And that's kind of where I think grace comes in. How does God's grace empower us? That's what the, the, the topic that I was given from, from Cornei's discussion. I would like to see Luke 9.23. If I can get that on there. Which is great because I, I don't have my glasses, so I can't even read it on my Bible, so I'm just going to set this down and we're going to use the verses because they're in big letters. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up the cross daily and follow me. I learned this first when I was in high school. Years and years ago when I actually did some memory work. 
And it has three stages here of how we're supposed to live as Christians. Many of us get caught up in grace, and grace is an amazing thing, and we're going to talk more about that. And grace is kind of a forgiving grace, because we know that if we mess up, that God's going to forgive us. But last week, we kind of brought up that there's more to life than that. What's our part? So, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must take their old self and take up their cross daily and follow me. There's three things there that he's asking us to do. Put off the old self, deny self, take up cross on a daily basis. And it is a daily basis. It is a daily basis. It's something you have to think about every day. It's not just a Sunday thing. Go ahead and hit Ephesians 4, 20-24. This is a, another, very similar to the same thing. This is Paul speaking. That however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regards, regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being, which is being corrupted by dece deceitful desire. Can you see that happening in today's society? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you start looking the way the world is going nowadays, deceitful for desires is it's all about you. To be made new, so, which is corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we take off the old Put on the new, how? To be a true righteousness and holiness within God. Those are the things that if you looked and I said, okay, if you can do these things, in my opinion, you're a shoe-in. You're in. You're going to go, you're, you're, I mean, I'd say, you do those things, you're going to heaven. And if I was Corey, I'd say that could be the whole sermon. We could go home. But I always get way more than Corey does. So how does Paul handle this? Sorry, Corey. I, I'm, I'm, you know what the bad thing is? that He's going to get me back next week, so it'll be kind of a running, running joke, vice versa. I'm the Batman, he's the Robin. How did Paul handle grace? Let's go ahead and go to 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. This is a verse that I have been stuck on for a long, long time. Does anybody ever have thorn, thorns in their life? Problems, issues? As Christians, one of the things I used to say is we come to church, we don't come to church because we're already good. We come to church because we're not good. We come to church because we, we know that we need God in our lives, and this is where we're supposed to come. This is where the sinners come. Too many people on the other side think that this is, we're all righteous and we never make mistakes and this and that. As a minister, I'm up here saying that's hogwash. That is actually hogwash. You don't go to school because you're already smart, you go to learn. That's why we come to church. And we should accept anybody within that category. Anybody that comes in as a sinner, which is all of us, we should be able to accept. None of us should be any better than anybody else. It's not a country club. And it shouldn't be. 
Because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, this is Paul speaking. Paul's a pretty righteous dude now. This is after he was Saul and was, in a, was doing some bad things. Persecuting Christians has his revelation and comes and says, and he's been stoned and thrown rocks at, he's been beat, and he keeps following Christ. He keeps standing up. He keeps going back into the battlefield. Way more than I probably would. I'm going to give him credit. But he says, to keep me from being conceited, I was giving a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. So in other words, Satan had something to do with this thorn. What is that thorn? Oh my goodness. I, I, I have done more research on what that thorn is. I still don't believe it's a, a physical ailment that he had at some time. Some people say it's that. It could have been. The ironic thing, he never comes out and says exactly what it is. Never comes out and says what it is. He, 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 and so, so we're like, okay, what is it, you know? But he wants to get rid of it. Do we as a Christian community have thorns in our life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Years ago, I was driving around at the lake. I worked at the lake. I had inmates working with me. And I had an inmate in the vehicle with me. We start talking, and he's a Christian guy. He got caught up into drugs, and he says, Alan, he says, I got this, this, this issue you know, with drugs, but I'm really a good guy, and I believed him. And he says, you know, I don't know how to get rid of it and how to deal with it and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, um, you know, we all have thorns in our life. I said, I have my own thorn. And he looks at me. And I know what he was thinking. I said, what you're thinking is, what was my thorn? He was like, oh man, oh, you, know, you seem like a pretty good guy. What, what's your thorn? I said, what's happening is you're thinking about my thorn and not worrying about your thorn. I said, it doesn't matter what my thorn is. And I think that's why Paul did in this situation. He goes, I'm not going to tell him what my thorn is. It's ironic because it says in a great reverence, it's keep him from being conceited. And I think that's one of the reasons why as we find out that God didn't take it away. But we start, you know what's funny? We start comparing about our thorns. I've even known people that say, you know, minds are way, way worse than yours. Have you gotten a conversation where their problems are worse than your problems? Isn't that kind of a weird thing to talk about? You know, look how bad I've got it. You know, look how bad things are in, in my life. You know, and, and I'm thinking, that isn't something that we should be comparing our, our, our thorns. But we shouldn't be making excuses for them either. It's interesting that obviously Satan was very involved in, in this. So what's he do? He, this is what I like what Paul does. He did it to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So did Paul want this? No. He didn't go, well, grace, grace is going to cover this so I can just keep being the, that is who I am. I get mad when people say that. That's just the way I So, in other words, what you're saying is, I'm going to keep sinning because grace is going to cover it, and that's just who I am. Like, I'm not going to do anything about it. I don't need to. Really? I don't, I don't think that that's a, a good way out. I don't think that's, you know, really... Should we have a part in that? Yes, we should do something about it, whatever our thorn is. And so, like I said, thorn could be a sin. It could be an issue. 
whatever issue, a problem. But then what happens? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I love that part. My grace is sufficient for you. This is God's grace, and I... I I could underline this thing three, three or four more times. My grace, God's grace. Because our grace and how we perceive grace is more of a forgiveness. You know, I forgive somebody. I give somebody grace. But when God's grace speaks up, it, I mean, and actually even one of the books I was reading, it, it talks about I am sufficient for you. So whatever your issue is, God says, basically says, I am sufficient for you in those down times. Whoa. Grace is kind of, I, I like to consider grace is kind of his essence. And it's not just a forgiving grace either. I mean, it's, it's much more than just forgiveness. But it's, um, and I like to see how, how does it empower us when God forgives us and says, you know what? Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to empower you through grace. The presence of God comes with an empowering, a calming, a supporting, a comforting, a satisfying. When he says, God, my grace is sufficient for you. I am sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So here's a question. Uh, if I'm weak, where's God at during that time? Paul st states um, that he is conceited in this situation and that they choose not to take this away. In, in my opinion, is, is uh, what if he did take it away? You ever, you ever think about that? Because um, I, I think in this situation, Paul's thinking if two things can happen, get rid of the sin, get rid of the thorn, and get on with life and ministry, Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Guess what? Life's not that way. But at some time, you run in those moments. Or, he, or Paul looks at it this way. Leave the thorn, and he would be forever crippled and slowed in his life and his ministry. You got one or the other. That's, that's, that's how Paul looks at the scenario. God has a third option. He says, leave the thorn, give Paul grace, and for Paul was given a divine power that he could not attain by himself, but it came from God. Wow. So what you're saying is, you can have a thorn in your life and have God within you and be blessed? Whoa. Whoa. Third option works pretty good. So what is, what is Paul's contribution to this scenario? Weakness. We don't do well as men to say that I am weak. Unfortunately, it's uh, not too long ago, uh, it's been about a year, I did a funeral for a guy. He committed suicide. Man, I don't like doing funerals in the first place, but somebody that committed suicide is even tougher. He had some issues because he was in the military for 12 years. And he had some dramatic mind issues from killing and doing some things that were happening. 
but he was too proud and he didn't want to show weakness to get help. That's where God dwells. That is where... I mean, that's the part that attracts God. God is living in situations of weakness. Yeah, a lot of us are afraid to, to say that I've got a problem or I've got an issue. And I don't want to go on, well, that's just the way I am. I had a kid years ago that was in my youth group. Had trouble with drugs. And I wouldn't see him for two or three months at a time. And I was like, you know, where you been? And he kind of confessed to me one time. He came into my office. He says, Alan, he says, when I'm doing bad things, I don't really want to be around you. I said, why is that? He says, do you think I change whether you're good or bad? No, but I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by the things that I've done. I said, well, that's the time that I think I could probably help you the most. That's the time that I can actually step up and give you some advice, give you some help. That's exactly how Jesus is. That's how God operates in our lives. I think it's been interesting because most people find the presence of God when they're at rock bottom. When things are not going well. When they have issues in their life and they drop to their knees and they start looking up. Our aloneness and incapabilities, which we fear and flee, are exactly where God loves to dwell. I have personal experience about that. Personally, my family, my friends, as a counselor. I've dealt with a lot of people that uh, have been at rock bottom and they want some help. They want some help. They want to, to uh, 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 some answers. I will boast more gladly about my weakness so Christ's power may rest on me. Christ's power may rest on me through my weaknesses. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He goes on in the list, you know, four or five things here that are problems that people have to deal with on a regular basis. And as Paul responds, I boast about these things. Before he wanted to get rid of them, and now he's thinking about, maybe I should speak up because this is where God dwells. God dwells in people that are having issues. One of the biggest problems I think a lot of us as Christians come across is, is that uh, what I hear is that we're, we can become better than everybody else. Who's saying that? Because quit saying that. God sees us where we're at in our lives and affects us where we're at in our lives. That's what grace comes forward. When he says, I'm sufficient for you, that's his essence. That's his perfume. That's him in general. He hits you wherever you're at. Even if you're doing well. I mean, I always say God makes the good times better and the bad times good. 
And that's what it should be. He should be our answer. He is sufficient for us. Paul realizes that he has a thorn, and yes, he wants, wants it gone. And he asks and asks and pleads with God, and it doesn't happen. But he also realizes that God's going to be there no matter what. Romans 8.39 hits it best. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing out there that can separate us. And I'm glad that that is possible. And so if you are witnessing to somebody at some time, you can use and say, you know what, God's going to be there. God, God's, there's nothing that you can do that is so bad. That's Satan speaking and wanting you to think that whatever you've done is, is just too bad, that God's not going to love you. That whatever you've done is, 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 you know, makes you trash and that you know, everybody's going to think bad about you and this and that. Paul comes out and says, guess what, i got a problem, and he wrote half the books of the New Testament. And wants it taken away. And he says, guess what? God's grace is going to cover that. Whatever the amount of grace God's given us, and trying to understand that I think is, is you know, very, very difficult. The one thing that he does say is that, in, in, in 2 Corinthians, is that it's not about Paul, but it's about the Lord. I'm going to end with one, one story. Corey says I've got to be done by 11 o'clock. So. Um, I always end the stories. I have more stories than stories. Uh, as a youth minister, I've told stories upon stories. And uh, I always say, you know, as a youth minister, but I have a lot of interesting stories. Years ago, once again, I have another inmate story. I had a, a guy that came out to the lake, and one of our other... Uh, workers didn't want this guy as he came out on the bus because he had him at the main prison. He was kind of a rough guy. I said, I don't care. I'll take him. So he comes, comes out, and the first thing I have him do is I go down to Walnut River and I said, I need you to weed eat all these trees in this area. He looks at me and says, okay. Now, you have to understand, he'd been locked up for 15 years, didn't know how to drive. He was about 40 years old. I'll call him J.C., that was his initials. I think it's kind of interesting because Jesus Christ, but uh, I'll call him J.C. And so he starts weeding a tree, and after he gets done, he looks at me and says, do you want me to do this tree too? Yes. So he moves over to the next tree. After he gets done weeding that, he looks at me and says, what about that tree over there? Okay, here's the deal. This whole area, everything in this See way back there where the, the where the there it goes around the corner. All everything in here has to be weed eaten. But he was asking me every time because that's the way he was trained to do at, at the main prison. He couldn't do something unless on his own, unless somebody said it was okay for him to do that. So pretty soon he started weed eating, and, and I was watching him, and he'd go up to a tree and start feeling the the sides of it. He picked up a dandelion and smelled it. You see, he hadn't, he'd been locked up, and so he hadn't even been around a tree. He hadn't smelled the dandelion of flower. So we get done with that, and he goes, Mr. Funk says, I'll weed for you all day. 
I said, well, I kind of want you to do some other things. I said, do you, do you think you could mow? Yeah, but I, I've never done it. You know, I, I, 15 years, I haven't been behind. Which is ironic because our mowers were called bad boys. You know, the bad boy brand. I think that was kind of hard. So, I said, well, get on the bad boy mower, you know. And he's like, oh, kind of fitting, you know. I mean, it, it, anyhow, so he gets on. I put him in a field. I said, here's the deal. Don't run over anybody, any kids, dogs, anything out. Just start practicing, moving it around. Because it takes a while to get used to those things. So, so he starts mowing around. Boy, he's smiling and smiling and smiling. And uh, I'm starting to develop this, a good relationship with him. He, then he goes, well, Mr. Funk says, I'll mow for you all, you know, as long as I'm here. I said, buddy, I got bigger plans for you than that. He says, do you think you could probably drive a backhoe or a tractor? He says, oh, I don't know about that. And he didn't want to make a mistake. That's, called, that's, I mean, that's literally why he was. He didn't want to make a mistake and ruin the situation. Like, dude, you've got to live. You've got to get back to living a life. I said, you know, I've got to ask you a question. I said, so I heard that you were kind of a rough guy, and I, all I have is positive influence from you. You're, 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 you're willing to do anything I ask you to do, where someone like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to weed eat. I said, what's your story? And he says, I'll, I'll tell you. He was from Wyandotte County up in Kansas City. Rough neighborhood. Rough neighborhood up in Kansas City. His parents did drugs, and they kind of left him out on the street when he was 11 to do his own thing. He had, he had some brothers that were older that helped take care of him. He got into a boxing. There was a, a, a white man that had a boxing thing up there on kind of in this rough neighborhood, and he would take them in, and sometimes they even stayed there. He trained them on how to box and so on. He ran about way, got into some trouble with some gangs and so on, and ended up getting sentenced. So he was out here when he got sentenced, and he says, you know, I used to blame everything on my parents. My whole life, I blamed my parents for not being there for me. They weren't the ideal parents, so they weren't there half the time. And so I started getting in trouble, even when I was in trouble, you know, out in the streets. But when I, I got in prison, I, I was in fights. I learned how to box, so I was a good fighter and so on. And he says, one of the many times I got sent to solitary confinement, and I... Went down to solitary, which is, you know, basically in a cell by yourself. Last time they'd, they'd leave a Bible there. He started reading the Bible. Now, he knew of God. He'd heard of God. He believed there was a God. So he started reading the scriptures. And he, he, actually, he'd been reading a little bit before that time. But, but he finally got on the, and as he was reading, he started reading about grace and forgiveness. And he got to his knees and prayed. And he says, I forgive my parents for the issues that they had with me. I can't blame my life on their not, them not being for me. I'm a grown man now. I'm making the decisions on my own. So I need to step up and, make, and become the type of person that God's called me to be. God gave grace to me. Can I give grace to my parents? And when that happened, he says it was just like the Holy Spirit came on him. That all of a sudden he says, I don't want to be this type of person. I want to be better. So it's funny because he, so 
So since then, you know, he gets out and then he goes to the honor camp and comes over to me. And one time he said to me, he says, Alan, I want to be like you. I said, what are you talking about, JC? Well, you're a good guy, you know. I said, I know I'm good looking, but you're never going to get there. You know, I'm sorry. You got hit by the ugly stick. It's just the way life goes. Some do, some don't. He says, no, I want to be like you because you're respected. You know, you love God. You treat people well. You're kind. You're considerate. You treat us well. You don't treat us like crap like I've had happen for the last 15 years. And at first of all, I said, well, that's a great honor. Thank you. But don't be like me. I still have thorns in my flesh that I'm working on. Be like Jesus. Set your goals higher than me and be like Jesus which is what God calls us to do. We know that we have saving grace, the amazing gift of grace through God, but set yourselves higher. It was the most exciting thing when he actually, he was under the old law, and so they, we had, they, he went to a parole board, and we had a whole bunch of people that signed saying, hey, let this guy out. He's ready to be out. It was amazing. A year later, he comes back and visits me. Had a job and smiling and smiling, said, I just want you to see me now. And I couldn't be more proud of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all you've given us, Lord. I thank you so much for the gift of grace. It is something that we can't pay back. We didn't deserve. Yet you show grace to us each and every day. I pray that we also have that grace that we can share to other people. That it lightens us up and gives us uh, some amazing gifts that we can share that same type of attitude to the others around us. It empowers us to get through the day when we are struggling with a sin or an issue or something like that because we know that you're sufficient for us. And we thank you for that. I pray this in your name. Amen. Right on 11 o'clock. Exactly how I'm supposed to do Way to go. Way to go. I thought I'd come up here um, so that people could see the progression of the ugly stick. No hair. Hair. Not good in racquetball. Good in oh, racquetball. Oh, oh, oh. Dallas Cowboy fan. Here we go. Cheese fan. I love you, brother. I need a lot of grace right now. <laughs> a lot of grace. Uh, hey, two things before you um, head out. I had three things before you head out today. Uh, four things before you head out today. Uh, Easter's next week. Um, so be, be prepared for that. Uh, put on your happy faces for that. Uh, what, are the, what are the other things? Oh, uh, later on in uh, May, we will celebrate our 15-year anniversary. Yay. That's exciting. So um, if you would like to be a part of a group to help us plan that and, and, and carry that, like brainstorm and figure that out and carry that out, we'd love to have you be a part of that. If you would um, like to know more about that, um, get on the list, whatever. Uh, Bill and Melody, back there, say hi, there's Melody. Uh, you guys go in um, room number one right there. Uh, so if you want to help with our 15-year anniversary, uh, go in there, meet Bill and Melody. You'll talk just, a, just for a minute about, about that. I think just get some names and stuff who'd like to help. Uh, next thing is, next Saturday morning, uh, Pam is going to be moving. Where's Pam? You all know Pam. I don't know where she is. There she is. Pam, you back there. Uh, Pam's at our welcome table. Uh, she and Kenny are moving to El Dorado from Augusta. Yay. Uh, <laughs> 
from from hell to heaven. No, that's not true. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, I'm glad, uh, Pam, to have you in town. So um, we're, we're going to help. She got some um, big stuff that um, we need some help moving. So uh, we're going to meet um, at nine o'clock at her new place. Uh, and so, listen, I'll put some stuff on Facebook this week. And, and Will, if you want to know where that is or whatever, you can help next Saturday morning. Uh, get with me. Uh, we'll provide lunch for anybody who wants to come help um, get her moved. Appreciate that, right? So check with Pam, check with me um, after service. Uh, what's the other thing? Oh, um, we, we're missing like five people who normally help us wrap cords and carry stuff out and pack the trailer. So if you have a few extra minutes and you could give us a hand getting things out, uh, six guys, six people were actually missing today uh, who normally help with that. So if you, if you have some time, you could give us a hand. We appreciate that um, very much. Thanks, Alan. We'll be back to Grace uh, Part 3 next Sunday, um, and you'll have to look at me the whole morning. Okay. All right. Love you guys. Thanks. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope You'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.